Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. I'm your host, Sky Guasco. You are listening to the Candlestick Kids Fantasy Football Podcast. Please follow us on Instagram at fantasy football underscore TCK pod and on Twitter at TCK underscore pod. You can find all of our rankings and multiple articles at TCKpod.com. We've got a lot to cover, so let's get into it. What up, TCK Potters? Welcome back to the program. I'm your host, Sky Guasco, for another episode of the Candlestick Kids Fantasy Football Podcast, a.k.a. TCK Pod. We got my man Lucas Kaser back with us today, breaking down the zero RB strategy. So came on a couple years ago, started as kind of a fancy trend. Some people caught on. Some people completely stiff-armed it. More people came on a couple years ago. It worked out well. Then it busted when a bunch of running backs um, exploded and wide receivers were down a few years ago. Then it came back. And then last year you were kind of on one side or the other. You were either pro zero RB or anti zero RB, which means grabbing your running backs early. Lucas, I'm going to let you kind of explain just bare bones for anybody unfamiliar with the term zero RB explain kind of exactly what zero RB is. How long do you actually wait until you get your first running back? And what is that overall process of taking a zero RB strategy? And before we dive into a ton of data in this episode, it's a big numbers episode. Before we get into all that, why last year were you so confident that zero RB was going to work? Because you were one of the few in the entire fantasy football space that staked your claim early on zero RB. You stuck with it, drafted all your teams as such, and it worked out for you. So why were you so confident and what does zero RB actually mean? Yeah. So the zero RB sort of take, I guess you could say, or what people think of it as is like not drafting a running back, which it could be but there's not a, um, okay. When I say zero RB, I just call it that because I don't like, I don't know if people want me to call it like anti-fragility or like volatility or, um, it's easier to just call it zero RB, right? Or modified zero RB. Um, so basically the, the basis of it is you're totally throwing out the chance of guessing the non, I'm going to say locked in top five running backs. So last year, for example, you had McCaffrey, Barkley, Zeke, Kamara, uh, Derek Henry. I'm going to throw in Dalvin cook. So we had what, six of them total. So besides that, like, I mean, if you're making rankings, if you're doing projections, analysis, like no one can, there was such a gap between who the eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 running backs, even all the way to 15, to be honest with you, like who they were, everyone had them different. The ADPs at the beginning of the summer were probably about normal, but then this goes into why it was such a thing last year that people wanted to do it was these ADPs of these seven to eight ish um seven slash eight to like rb15 jumped up to where they were all drafted within the first two rounds right they were all drafted all the way up to james connor in the fact that james connor was a late round two pick in a lot of high stakes leagues and i use a lot of high stakes adp data um not because well i play in some and i'm gonna play in more this upcoming year but because um it's the reference like skin in the game is like the people putting the most money in are going to take it the most seriously. And I know people probably listening are like, well, I take my $30 league seriously. Like I'm sure I do too. Like I'm sure you do, but like people have thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars in these leagues. The, the, the ADP decisions they have to make are tenfold what we have to make at a $30 league, right? There's they're playing against people that are making millions off fantasy. That's their full-time job. Just playing these high stakes games. I'm even making content or writing or anything, just playing these games. So they, they know what they're doing when it comes to these drafts. So I use that data. I'm going to reference that um, win rate percentages, points, all that stuff. So really the, if like, if you have to take away one thing from this, the zero RB or the, the modified zero RB is throwing away, not even trying to figure out who this tier two of running backs, maybe tier three, if you had CMC in his own tier last year, et cetera, 
are when it comes to draft day, even tier four uh, to a certain extent. Last year, a little bit different in that sense, but throwing away the guessing game, trying to draft players at their ceiling, we talk about all the time. Instead, you're going to replace players that you know are guaranteed points, which I'm sure we'll reference a lot um, in in this past year's ADP that there was a lot of good guaranteed fantasy points in those spots that you could have replaced Joe Mixon, Josh Jacobs, Kenyon Drake, Miles Sanders. There was a hundred times better picks, and I'm sure everyone's kind of heard who they are, but we'll get into that in this episode. Fantastic. I wanted to break down quickly. Uh, I went back to 2016 for some data that I'm going to share throughout the episode, but quickly in 2020, which we will reference constantly, I just want to break down quickly what the first five rounds look like. So I looked from 2016 through 2020 in the ADP in the first five rounds and what each of those look like just by positions. I didn't break down every single year necessarily on how uh, those players performed. I did break down 2020, which we'll get into, but in 2020, three quarterbacks were drafted in the first five rounds. 28 running backs were the most since 2016. 25 wide receivers and four tight ends. Of those 28 running backs, 10 of them were in the first round. So if you didn't hit on a first round running back, and we know who they were, if you didn't hit on a first round running back, Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley, Zeke Elliott for the second half of the season, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, Josh Jacobs, who worked out overall but didn't what didn't have consistency. Austin Eckler was out half the season, and Miles Sanders only had two or three big games. So if you didn't hit, as you mentioned, Lucas, on Alvin Kamara, Dalvin Cook, Derrick Henry in the first round, you were really hurting. And, of course, you can throw in Michael Thomas there, which, unfortunately, he was a landmine for those people that did go zero RB. But you and I uh, had spoken preseason about our – rankings and we had Devonte adams before michael thomas so you may have picked Devonte adams in that first wide receiver spot if you had a middle round pick versus a late round pick and got away with it if you went with uh adams over thomas but nonetheless that first round was a bunch of landmines this year so it was kind of sketch uh depending on how you were going about it so lucas when you look at the rb uh, zero RB model. And again, zero RB is a little bit extreme modified zero RB yeah. might be a better version of what we continue to talk about moving forward because to just go, first of all, we're going to go into this in the off season to say that you're just not going to draft a running back, no matter what for the first five rounds is not a good strategy. I don't really go into most drafts with a strategy that I stick to. It's more of like, Here's what I'm going to do in my first two or three rounds if A, B, and C work out. If it does, I'm going to stick to it. If not, and things go crazy and the draft goes nuts, I'm going to have to audible, and I'm obviously going to have to mold with the rest of uh, the league there. But if you go zero RB, then you're just saying, I'm not going to draft a running back for the first four, five, six rounds. If you say, I'm going to go modified zero RB, then you could pick, let's say, Dalvin Cook in the first round because you have a top four pick, and you're like, eh, or, you know, I don't want to go with um, Michael Thomas last year or Devontae Adams that early. So I'm going to go with Dalvin Cook. He has the high PPR upside, yada, yada. That's my running back. But after that, I'm not choosing another running back, most likely, until maybe the sixth or seventh round. So now you're still running back light in your draft, but you have one of those studs. So, Lucas, I'll just fire it back at you. You were pretty heavy on Derrick Henry. But Derrick Henry is the the running back in the top uh, couple rounds outside of maybe Nick Chubb, who doesn't have much in the passing game. So if you were to go modify zero RB and Derrick Henry was your running back, does that like is he just so good that he overrides basically that thought process, or is that maybe not a best call? You want maybe an Alvin Kamara, obviously CMC, but Dalvin Cook, Alvin Kamara, guys like that who are going to catch the passes. So you're still getting the PPR upside. What is your thought process specifically when you're thinking about the modified zero RB to maybe get a running back early and then punt running back for the next six rounds. Yeah. And I think um, part of the the whole, how you talk about Devontae Adams, Michael Thomas is what I find that works best is no matter if you're playing in one league, a hundred leagues, whatever, write down like the first two rounds, you don't have to make rankings, but rank your first two rounds of who you would draft no matter what. Cause people are always like, 
stack receiver, receiver, RB, 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 receiver. Like, that doesn't matter. Like, it literally does not matter because your first two rounds, you just want players that, one, um, I'm going to say won't get injured, don't have tremendous injury history because you can't predict injuries. Two, are going to get guaranteed points every week, not based on some – um, what's to say Miles Sanders like you don't he was a terrible pick last year because everyone's thought process was if he's the workhorse or if Aaron Jones if he plays more than 50 percent snaps or Kenny Drake if Chase Edmonds doesn't take over like those are terrible picks right in in the theory of you're drafting flipping a coin right and that's obviously like I mean if, if I were to ask you hey you want to throw this 30 dollars on me flipping a coin everyone's going to say no probably right a 50 percent chance to win so go into it ranking your first two rounds, maybe three rounds if you really want to, like of who you would take at the slot no matter what. And don't think about, oh, I took two running backs, I'm screwed. Or I don't have a running back after round two. Like going with your rankings. Because last year for us, that was McCaffrey, Zeke, Barkley, Kamara. Um, I think I had Henry Cook. I think you had Cook Henry. It doesn't matter. We had the six running backs that we were taking if we had a top six pick. And then from there we adjusted, right? So it was not trying to mess around with all this like game theory of, well, maybe if I take Tyreek instead of Derrick Henry or Adam Stark and Derrick Henry, maybe I can get an RB on the way back. Because you're just thinking too many outcomes that there's so many different outcomes that could happen. So what I did, I guess, last year or how like I approached him last year, that I had my top six running backs. And then from there, you could kind of play around, obviously, your wide receiver rankings, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so going in, I would just say make rankings and then have a general like you don't have to like study ADP a ton, but like last year like the the turn of like I remember we were just texting or whatever like and then we had the commission episode of like the zero RB is like I think I put in there I don't know July like I'm kind of like leaning towards this because of x y and z I'm leaning towards zero RB because of x y and z and then like as I just progressively saw the ADP was doing my best ball drafts on DraftKings and FanDuel and like as these is like it just kept going you see these trends and I was like I think there was like I saw like the ADP of like James Conner late round two and like that moment, I think I texted you guys like I'm all in, like let's do this. And then we had the the discussion then, et cetera, and the whole season played out. So really just like follow the ADP. Even if you just hop on, you turn on the podcast in June. Track it from June to up until August to see these changes, like view the ADP differences between James Conner end of round three to end of round two. Like, why is that happening? Well, last year it was happening because people did not know how to rank this eight through 15 of running backs, which then provided the plus EV move, the plus expected value, the edge, and completely fading that 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 gap of running backs, right? Because no one knows you're flipping coins, like I said. So the two things, you don't have to do a ton of research, just track ADP and have a general idea of how most first two rounds of fantasy drafts are going, because that's when you can really find these values of where you draw your cutoff of guaranteed running backs, and then you pivot to uh, tight ends or right wide receivers or quarterbacks, whoever you want to take in that sense. It's also much more tricky to draft proper running backs. Of course, everybody wants a running back. You, Everybody wants somebody that's going to get 20 plus touches plus maybe five or six targets per game. But again, there's only five or six players in the entire NFL that get that. Mm-hmm. So outside of the big dogs, you're not going to find that anyway. When I look at last year's ADP, Michael Thomas got hurt early. All right. Devonta Adams, obviously crushed number one by 30 points. Julio Jones had injury issues, but he does it every year. When Julio played, he was top five in points per game. Tyree killed number two wide receiver overall. New Hopkins was the number one wide receiver in the first game of the year with a new team in Kyler Murray. And they had huge games throughout. Chris Godwin had a bit of a slump from last year, but he was fine. Kenny Galladay got hurt. Mike Evans did fine. Thielen did fine. Allen Robinson, top 10. DJ Moore had some slumps, but some big games. And then the fourth round was nuts. Odell went out. We know that. Juju had a slump, but he came on at the end. Amari was fine with Dak. Okay with um, Andy Dalton. But Cooper Cup, uh, Calvin Ridley, Robert Woods, DK Metcalf, and A.J. Brown in the fourth round crushed, obviously. So what I'm saying is, Outside of a couple different situations with injury, which you can't predict, most of the, I mean, 90% of those wide receivers I just mentioned were, you know, wide receiver twos minimum. A lot of them were wide receiver ones, and they had the weak winning upside. With the running backs, again, I'll go through it quickly. CMC hurt, Saquon hurt, Zeke half a season, Kamara 
Cook and Henry did really well, but CEH, Josh Jacobs, Austin Eckler, Miles Sanders, bust in the first round. Joe Mixon, Kenyon Drake, bust. Nick Chubb did well, but missed five games. Aaron Jones, boomer bust. James Conner, bust. Chris Carson, meh. David Johnson, okay, but third round pick, no. Todd Gurley scored, but not much upside. Jonathan Taylor didn't do anything till the end of the season. Le'Veon Bell, bust. Leonard Fournette, okay, but not until the late season. Melvin Gordon, Mark Ingram, Devin Singletary, Raheem Mostert, all these guys bust at the draft capital that they were in it wasn't until the fifth sixth seventh eighth round when you started seeing the upside running backs which then you get into the zero rb approach cam Akers, kareem hunt ronald jones deandre swift david montgomery jk dobbins james white antonio gibson a lot of these guys were in that six to eight nine range which you can then pick up still rb1s rb2s and i've got some of that data i'll share with you later on but just when you look at the board from last year's ADP, it really tells a pretty uh, impressive story, right? And then you add in, of course, a couple tight ends and a couple quarterbacks. It's a different court conversation, but it is really impressive. And I always recommend people. That's why we take pretty much the NFL playoffs. We take this time to go back on some things, look back on 2020, look back on the season we just had because we learned so much before we turn the tide and move forward. So I always encourage people to look back on your own dime, look back on your own draft boards and see how drafts drafts unfurled and what position you were in and when you started taking guys, because that it happens like this every single season. This year was insane with COVID and extra injuries. I get it. No off season. It was definitely an outlier, but it happens like this pretty often. And of course, coming into last year, um, we uh, had uh, two years ago data in 2019 when it's pretty normal. So just interesting to take a look at that, Lucas. Um, I'm going to turn you loose on some numbers and all of your data here. I will go through uh, a number of um, findings that I had again from 2016 through present, but I'll turn it over to you now um, and uh, take us through uh, your findings on the zero RB or modified zero RB approach. Yeah, so on Rotoviz, they have a cool tra- – they, they do a lot of work with the FFPC, Fanball, Best Ball 10s, um, and then also uh, the, the Football Guys Players Championship, which is hosted on the FFPC side. Those are all the high-stakes leagues. Um, I think there's some state restrictions to where you can't play in certain states, whatever. They, they track all these – every single draft in all these leagues, and they have this win rate data on there. So obviously these are Best Ball win rates. But I think the thing that people get confused, and it's why I hate listening to people talk about best ball on Twitter, um, because they, the the common theme is go for upside. Will Fuller is a really good pick in best ball because he scores you 40 points one week. Okay, sure. But, like, he scores two in the other week, right? Like, so, like, this is why if you have people on Twitter making takes about, like, this guy's a really good best ball pick, like, just – mute their Twitter or something. Don't even don't read much into it because it's not how best ball works. Um, there's a lot more that goes into it. And we'll cover that a lot this offseason because uh, I played quite a bit, bit of it last year. But the reason I take this best ball win rate ADP is because in, in the theory of why you draft these late round guys, you're not drafting and be like, eh, maybe he'll be good. Like you're drafting him because there is a there is a strategy, a plan, a story around like where he would fit in and be worth that late round pick, right? So in the top 10 running backs in win rate percentage on the FFPC leagues last year, it was Alvin Kamara, James Robinson, Dalvin Cook, J.D. McKissick, Mike Davis, Antonio Gibson, Naeem Hines, Rex Burkhead, Dave Montgomery, and Jarek McKinnon. And people are probably like, well, Burkhead and McKinnon didn't do anything for me last year, but they did for the three weeks that you would have used them, right? So you having them on your bench for those three weeks, literally just those three weeks, obviously this is um, the win rate percentage, I guess probably should have prefaced that, is the, the, the team that they have, the, the way FFPC and best ball chains are set up is it's a bunch of like mini leagues of like 12 teams. And if you win your league out of 12, you move on to like the next round, which is week 14, the next round 15, 16 is the championship. So the win rate is like the number of times this player or is on out of, let's just say there's a thousand teams or a hundred teams if you easier math. So Kamara's win rate was 23.97%. So he was on 23 out of the 100 of those total teams that won, right? So it's just like if they won the league on that team. So let's just say Burkhead and Jarek McKinnon, for example, because people are probably like, well, they were worthless in fantasy last year. 
they would help those teams those three weeks. Maybe those three weeks, they were probably a top 10, top 20 running back when they got him in the 287th pick and the 233rd pick. They might have won him those singular three weeks, which would have been 3-0 maybe, and then they just went back on the bench. So, like, say you picked up McKinnon last year. You probably didn't pick him up in most leagues to sit on your bench. So, in theory, you were picking him up and starting in those three weeks just like a best ball league would have, right? So, I think that's the thing where people kind of get it like um, – they put these narratives in their head of like, you only want these high upside guys because they start these weeks and the other weeks don't matter, but that still applies to redraft. So keep that in mind. It's kind of when you're, I don't know, doing your research, you're kind of listening to people talk about all this. You're looking at this data. If you do look at it, that, that these, these are, these pretty heavily correlate directly to redraft. So the top 10 guys there or actually, we can even break it down to the top 20 win rates and running backs. 20 running backs, only three were drafted in the first round. And only two, one of them was drafted in the second round. The rest were like 200 plus picks, 100 plus picks. Frank Gore, people are probably like, oh, he was a terrible pick. Well, not if you had, let's just say your team was Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, um, Keenan Allen, DK Metcalf, Josh Allen, and your running backs the whole year were Kareem Hunt and Frank Gore. I bet you would have made a decent amount of money in fantasy last year. And if you kept the nine points of Frank Gore every single week, you probably would have been fine. People just kind of mess with it too much. Um, guys like Latavius Murray is on this list almost every single year. He's one of my favorite picks every year in fantasy because he gets you the seven to eight points a week when you can throw him in there. And there's always the weeks every year where he falls into the end zone or he tomorrow gets hurt and he gets the RB1 for two or three weeks. And we talked about that last year while we loved him. Uh, I think we ranked like uh, handcuffs or something like that. So there's win rate data. That's just this year. So the, this has it up until 20. 16 and 2016 we saw a really rb heavy year so the data like i guess i could have showed you the data and it would have gone against my point but i'm telling you it was really rb heavy and it would not been helping you to go over zero rb but the last four years have been very perfect to set up modified or late run running back whatever you want to call so in the last four years i counted the number of top 20 win rate running backs this is 80 running backs over a four-year sample in the top 20 win rate percentage only 12 out of 80 were drafted in the first round, 12. 12 out of 80 running backs in these high-stake leagues actually help their team on the championship roster. And, like, the crazy part is, like, I could even go – I didn't want to mess around with it and have much time to, like, do count functions and find, like, the exact number for each singular round, make all these charts. I probably will for the draft guide if we have some sort of a write-up around this. But the, the data just shows every single year the last four years why you just fade these round two, round three running backs, right? Like, there's – People might make the case this year for David Montgomery and Jonathan Taylor. And I think people have been very vocal. Like, I'm not going to say they're bad at the end of the year because they were fantastic at the end of the year. But most likely your team wasn't in the playoff push if you took the zeros from JT at the beginning of the year and David Montgomery's six points, right? So there's definitely, like, ways to break it down within that. Um, and another thing, too, I think is the um, which we kind of referenced already, the guaranteed points. I think this is something that uh, we kind of talked about in the uh, what we what didn't work, um, fading guaranteed volume, fading uh, tight, early tight end, stuff like that. So when it comes to this idea of uh, guaranteed points, this comes from more of a leverage point of like you play in a lot of leagues and you have a big portfolio um, because if you play in one league, I guess it could still work. But when it comes to entering your draft, Let's just say that you assigned a projected point total. Well, yeah, okay, take ESPN's projections or take my projections come next year. Divide that by 16, right? Let's just say no one ever gets hurt and they score the same amount of points every week. Divide it by 16 points. So in theory, you're going to want to get the most guaranteed points without playing a single game. Because when everyone gets drafted, I don't have the number in front of me. Let's just say it's a 10-team league. When everyone gets drafted – everyone has a 10% chance of winning the league, right? Obviously, you can make the case that, like, someone I, – I don't know. I got an argument last year about, like, how after the draft, like, not everyone has the same chance to win the league. And I, I was just really mad because I was like, please explain this numbers. 10 teams, 10, 100 divided by 10, 10%. So once you come away from the draft, you have a guaranteed 10% chance to win. And the way I see it, which I think was very beneficial to last year, is a lot of these people are taking chances on receivers later in the draft, tight ends later in the draft, streaming quarterbacks, and they had their two running backs locked in. 
But the way that I pivoted in the draft was I, I locked in my wide receiver volume with guys like Keenan Allen. I guess Metcalf's not really volume, but Metcalf, Diggs, um, Allen Robinson, Cooper Cup, Robert Woods. That is a higher guarantee of return on points than the other receivers, the other tight ends, like Travis Kelsey versus, I don't know, who's a good stream? Mike Gusecki. Like you're guaranteed, like you're taking that 10%. And just by guaranteeing the production, not necessarily the outcome of your fantasy game, you're already increasing that percentage to win the game. And obviously, like, I'm not saying you go from 10 to 15, like actually, this is more of like a theoretical like view of like projecting um projecting your team against the rest of the league because you don't need a bunch of narratives for your team to click. You don't need Marlon Mack to sit out for the season and Naeem Hines to stop catching the ball at the end of the year. You don't need the Bears offensive line to figure it out for David Montgomery. You don't need Miles Sanders to be a workhorse. You don't need Joe Mixon to actually play a full season for the first time in his career. You don't need Josh Jacobs to catch passes to him to be worth it. You don't need Kenyon Drake to let Jason to have Jay Simmons not play, right? Because you're already going in knowing these guys probably targets per game for the most part, their role, no competition. And that's all you can control, right? Because you can, can only control your fantasy points. So the way I look at it is, you should be coming out of your draft and looking at your team and everyone's like, oh, my team's so good. But you should know that they have no competition. They're guaranteed this production and that your hypothetical chance to win the league should be higher based on the lack of narratives around your team. I know that's a very like subjective point to make because like you can't measure that, but like you can measure that, right? Like, uh, for example, Kareem Hunt was a guy that I had probably on every single team last year. Everyone was like, he's one of the best handcuffs in the league. Yeah, sure. But he was still a six-round pick. Like, but he had locked in volume with Chubb there, right? So you expected 10 points a game. Obviously, he can fall in the end zone, but you can't project that. You expect 10 points a game. So when he gets 11, you're happy. When he gets nine, you're not happy. But everyone drafting Joe Mixon and Miles Sanders and Josh Jacobs is expecting as close to Derrick Henry points as they can get. And that's just not – that's just not doable unless you're getting a hundred percent projection for Miles Sanders and like a 60% projection for Derrick Henry. So a lot to unpack there, I guess a lot of like theoretical looks on it. And it's like, it's, I feel like it's hard to kind of explain in fully like how I understand it. Um, and I hopefully, I mean, if you need a little bit more of a background on it, go back. I think it's on our uh, podcast feed, but the commission had one back before, like right before the season started. And me and Josh kind of broke down like the structure. He was ant not like he wasn't like anti, but like he took the anti side um around it just to kind of like foreshadow because we had more locked in ADP of players who was right before the season started of like how the structure can work and why it works. Cause it's not like I'm like doing this and automatically winning my leagues. Like I still have to like pay attention, set my roster, et cetera. But having that edge, that non-existent edge that that I don't want to say no one sees, but like that I realized last year, the non-existent edge that is existent, uh, non-measurable edge, I guess you could say. Having that before the season even starts is huge. And I think um, if you're listening, I guess when you need more of a clarification, just message me on Twitter or something, because it's hard to like fully explain um, just, just over a podcast. So when you went into your drafts, we know that you went Travis Kelsey early. Uh, again, you were on two stances this season. Uh, zero RB or modified zero RB, depending on the spot. Again, let's be clear here. Lucas and I are not mentioning zero RB in that if you have the first overall pick, you go in zero RB. So you're passing on six potential league winning running backs to go get Michael Thomas or Devontae Adams last year. We're not saying that. We're saying that if you had maybe the seventh, eighth, 12th pick on the, on the turn, it might make more sense at that point to start with those stud upper echelon wide receivers, maybe go Travis Kelsey as Lucas was certainly uh, vetting for, and then get your value on the running backs later on. Lucas, um, we know you were heavy on Travis Kelsey. What was your general quarterback strategy last year? Because again, if you're going zero RB modified zero RB, that's generally no running back or maybe one running back between the first four and six rounds Let's throw Travis Kelsey in there for you specifically because you were getting him early if you even had to reach just to make sure you got him. So we'll put Travis Kelsey there and we'll put, let's say, at least three or four wide receivers in there, maybe a running back. 
did a quarterback fall into that top six for you or were you punting that as well? Yeah, I had a lot of um, Ryan Tannehill and then Lamar Jackson um, because that one I had a very bold like narrative take on is because he was projected for like 150 more passing attempts than the year prior in my projections and like everyone else's. Um, and people were like, that one was me betting against what everyone else is. Everyone else is betting on regression, right? Well, obviously his touchdowns were going to regress, but his passing attempts were going to uh, positive regress. So I was like, to me, he was worth more than even a third round pick, which is insane to say. Obviously now, like that wasn't the case, but it, it honestly was the case because I didn't lose because of Lamar Jackson. Or people like think they lost because of Lamar Jackson, right? Um, just like people think they lost because of like DJ Moore and Juju and Cooper and like that's not why you lost, right? You lost because you had Joe Mixon, Miles Sanders, Drake, et cetera. So it was and I don't even know like if this is a valid take, but like a lot of my quarterback stuff I realized last year was like it's not a good, it's not a smart advice, but like draft between like three or four guys is kind of the way I see it. Because I think once you get too scattered with quarterbacks, it's hard to um it's hard to hit on them because I think we I mean every year people are like either take the top guys and pay up or stream because there's no like middle ground obviously last year was the middle ground but all those guys are going to be super high ADP this year so I don't know how do you feel about that like taking I don't know three guys like a lot I think most of the guys I had last year were Lamar um Josh Allen Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Brees. Like I had a lot of those four, like this. And then I had like, I'm not going to say like all my leagues were those four, but like most of my leagues were those four guys. So like, how do you feel around that strategy of like only taking a couple guys? I feel like, I don't know. Cause I feel like quarterbacks don't really like make you lose. Um, but I feel like they can make you win big time if you hit them. Right. The only reason they make you lose is if they get hurt like Dak Prescott, yeah. right? So I took Dak in almost every single league. I, I love Mahomes. I love Jack. Again, we're talking last year, folks. So please, if you're, if you don't <laughs> consider this as 2021 ADP, we are not there yet as a podcast. We're still focused on 2020. So looking into 2020, heading into last year's drafts, Mahomes and Jackson were going in the second round. Uh, it looks like all the way down to the fifth round was Dak Prescott. And then after that, Deshaun Watson, Kyler Murray, Russell Wilson before Drew Brees and so on. So in the fifth round ADP with Dak Prescott, I would either reach for him in the fifth round or I'd get him in the fourth round because I knew the upside. Now, of course, that was excellent for four weeks, five weeks. Uh, he was blowing the league out of the water and he was incredible. And he was winning me weeks. He obviously got hurt. So then I had to audible. Luckily, um, just in the way that I drafted, I was generally able to go with um, my man, Justin Herbert, yeah. as my last pick of the draft. And again, that was a homer pick that worked out because, as everybody knows, I'm a Herbert fan. Um, and I was just like, you know, Terod Taylor, I just don't see holding up um, skill wise. And he could get injured. Well, he did get injured. And we know what happened with the trainer and all that. But Herbert came out of the gate. I didn't even expect him to play as well as he did off the bat. But he did, and he took off basically where Dak uh, uh, left off, right? And Herbert was a great feed. So my quarterback strategy worked out last year, but I will say a few uh, two years ago, you and I had conversations about Baker Mayfield, Aaron Rodgers, whatever. I was taking Baker in like the third or fourth round of every draft in 2019. And I was like, that's my guy. And it obviously blew up in my face. So you got to be careful with the quarterback. I was just curious where you had guys fall there because if you are going the first six rounds without a running back, you have a tight end maybe, but are you really going to go five receivers or let's say you miss out on Kelsey? Are you going to go with Kittle, Mark Andrews, uh, Darren Waller this year? Yeah. Um, or are you just going to go like literally five or six wide receivers um, because at the sixth round last year, say you have five receivers, no Kelsey, no running back, five receivers. You can still then get Deshaun Watson, who's number five, Kyler Murray, number one or two overall, depending on your settings, Russell Wilson, who was the number one quarterback for the first half of the season. So you still get that upside with your quarterback position, even if you wait those top five rounds, and then you can start plugging running back and get a late round tight end. So just curious about some general strategies when you do the late round um you know, running back approach, if you will. We'll also have plenty of podcasts on running back early approach. Last year, Lucas found this out. He found a niche. He stuck with it. He convinced me to do it late. I did it in most of my leagues as well. Again, unless I went with Alvin Kamara or Dalvin Cook. 
early in the draft. I went with Devontae Adams in the first round of almost every draft that I did. And in those three leagues that I got Devontae Adams, I won the championship. So it was, you know, it was more than that, obviously, but it happened to work out. Lucas, before we proceed, and I do have uh, some data on my side, I'm going to break down as well with uh, current ADP, last year's ADP, 2016 ADP, and I want to cover running back targets because that's a huge portion and a huge uh, important factor to take into consideration when you're looking at later round, middle round running backs, and of course, handcuffs and those high upside PPR guys. Before we go any further, I want to ask you, which of the late round, if you want to call them that, let's say like round six or later, running backs, which was your favorite running back to get if you waited the five or six rounds on them? Who was the guy that you were targeting? You mentioned Latavius Murray already. Who's maybe somebody else that you were targeting to make sure that you had that guy to anchor um, your zero RB approach for your rosters? Yeah, I mean, I, I had Kareem Hunt, and I, I don't even – I don't even think I'm exaggerating when I say every league. He was, like, my sixth round. He was, like, my RB1 in, like, the sixth round. Um, and, obviously, he was 17th in the best ball win rate. I would say his win rate would have been – if that was a thing, would have been a little higher. In redraft, um, him or Tony Pollard – and I know we only got the one week from Tony Pollard, but, like, that one week of Tony Pollard, I believe week 13, if I'm not mistaken um, – like that, that is so worth the 10th round ADP on him, right? Like you, well, here, okay, here's a good one because we were fading all the Giants receivers. No one could tell me they would have rather had, even let's say the Giants receivers had, they probably had a 60th, 60th percentile projected season, even if they would have had an 80th percentile, meaning they would have scored 20% more points. I still would have had Tony Pollard over all three of those guys going into last year, right? So uh, yeah, I think, I think Tony Pollard and I would say Kareem Hunt. And honestly, those will probably be my two highest sound come next year because I can't imagine their ADP changes that much. Love that. Sounds like you need to get yourself a Kareem Hunt or Tony Pollard in the future of the Cowboys jersey. And of course, when you do that, you're going to go to the Jersey Jungle on Instagram and get yourself a super clean and crisp game day worn jersey. Look, you guys know how we do this with Jersey Jungle. We've been repping them for two weeks now. Super, super great Jersey combos. Dweez has been going nuts on this triple combo from the Washington football team, and rightfully so, right? He has this idea that you can get three young studs from the Washington football team, and basically the idea is that, like, they're not going to be the Washington football team come next year. This is a one-year thing because I got rid of the old logo. They're bringing in a new one. That is a keepsake situation. I've mentioned to you guys multiple times, I got the Justin Herbert super clean baby blue L.A. Chargers jersey. Love my boy Herbs. Watched him in high school here in Eugene. Watching him at the University of Oregon, of course, down the street. Stoked to see my boy crush it. And he happened to win me a number of fantasy championships. So, you know, I'm going to represent him. So I'm going to hit up Instagram, go to the Jersey Jungle, and then make sure you mention that Lucas and I sent you there and mention the tagline TCK to get 10% off of one jersey, 10% off of two jerseys, or if you want to get a three-pack, get 15% off of three jerseys. So once again, go to Instagram, hit up the Jersey Jungle, tell them Lucas and Sky sent you from TCK. And you can grab yourself one of your favorite football players jerseys or maybe somebody that helped you get to the fantasy championship. Also, they do not just do football jerseys. They do NBA, soccer, baseball, hockey. They do custom jerseys as well. So make sure you hit up the Jersey Jungle on Instagram for your custom jerseys, your favorite sports team jerseys. Get them super clean. They fit great. And he will be sending them to you within just a couple of business days. Hit up my man's mention TCK to get 10 or 15% off of one to three jerseys. Okay, Lucas, I want to get into some target data here. So this is really the most important for me. When I go zero RB or modified RB approach, this is something that I look for big time. I have to have my later round running backs if they're going to bolster my RB2, RB3 uh, spots, they have to be able to catch passes. You mentioned Kareem Hunt. Excellent move there. Obviously, you know, Nick Chubb going down gave more opportunity to Kareem Hunt, but surprisingly, he was actually more effective when Nick Chubb was in there, right? Tony Pollard, not a huge mm -hmm. pass catcher necessarily, but in that game, he took over for Zeke. Two games, really. He absolutely blew the competition out of the water. Latavius Murray gets it done as well. Alexander Madison and some other guys too. So when I'm looking at um, 
target data. It's something that I want to make sure that my running back looks to be, and again, these are predictions early, like preseason. So I want to look to see if my running back has a good chance of getting 50 plus targets out of the backfield. Okay. So a lot of people know at this point, Alvin Kamara, who's arguably the best pass catcher in the NFL has had 81 uh, receptions in the first three years of his career this year, he had 83 actually, but he's had far more targets right now. I'm looking for just 50. So I'll take like 40 plus targets away from Alvin Kamara. And I'm still satisfied with my running back. If they get 50 plus targets, not necessarily receptions, but targets. So if I look at last year's data from 2020 at running backs that had 50 plus targets in a season, which is an average of about three per game over a 16 game season, then I'm looking at 18 running backs in 2020 that saw at least 50 targets or three per game average. Eight of those 18 were drafted in the first five rounds. Okay, so of those 18 running backs that saw 50 targets, eight of them, only eight of them were drafted in the first five rounds. That's where all your bell cows are. That's where all the guys getting 20 plus touches. That's where all your you know, three down backs are located. Eight of the 18 there uh, had 50 plus targets. If I look deeper though, that means 10 more running backs, 10 of the 18 were drafted in the sixth round or later, saw a season average of three per target, uh, three targets per game, excuse me, including J.D. McKissick, uh, Naeem Hines, Mike Davis, of course, who took over um, Christian McCaffrey. These guys were all top five in the NFL in targets and targets per game. J.D. McKissick led all of NFL running backs with 110 targets, and he wasn't even drafted. Okay, so if you look at all of the top targeted running backs on the year, J.D. McKissick was number one with 110 targets, nearly six targets per game. Alvin Kamara, number two, no surprise there, with 107. Then a big drop to Naheem Hines, 76. Zeke, 71. Mike Davis, 70. Okay, then even David Montgomery, 68. Chase Edmonds, the backup for Kenyon Drake, 67 targets. Austin Eckler would have been much higher, obviously, if he didn't get injured. Aaron Jones would have been higher as well. He missed a couple of games. But James White, even without Tom Brady, still 62 targets. James Robinson, who came out of nowhere, 60 targets. Gio Bernard, DeAndre Swift, um, looking down the list here, uh, Miles Gaskin, uh, Jarek McKinnon, as you mentioned earlier, Antonio Gibson, all these guys hovering around 50-plus targets and you could have got them in the sixth plus round. So that is something that I always take into consideration. If I end up drafting where I'm going light running back, I want to make sure that I'm targeting guys late that have the opportunity to have 50 plus targets. Now, can we guarantee that they're going to obviously not, but it is well-documented that a target in fantasy football is worth one and a half times more value than a carry. So if your running back has 50 targets versus 50 carries, they're getting one and a half times value on every one of those targets versus carries. That's why guys like Naheem Hines who don't carry the ball and guys like JD McKissick who don't carry the ball and guys like Gio Bernard who don't do anything unless Joe Mixon gets hurt are still valuable in fantasy football because they're getting the dump offs, right? Tariq Cohen is a nice late round um PPR guy over the last couple of years, obviously got hurt this year. He doesn't carry the ball much. James White doesn't carry the ball much, but they're getting the targets in open space. It can make bigger plays. And of course, bigger plays for touchdowns potentially as well. So that was something I wanted to mention. If you go with the strategy and you end up in say, you know, the third, fourth round and you don't have a running back yet, you're like, all right, well, I'm pretty much, you know, I'm pot committed now. I got to go with it start looking at some of the research and find out some of those running backs who on a a seasonal average could potentially get you 50 targets moving forward. Lucas, do you have a comment on the 50 target approach? Um, Do you agree with that? And after that, I will break down uh, just kind of the first round ADP data I found from 2016 to present. No, I think that's a really good point. I think that's where I found the leverage in the strategy working. And I guess I didn't really even think about that till like now is that um, when, when going, okay, so I'll be making projections and I'm going to do a lot better job of starting earlier um, to really like get them good, I guess is the way to put it. Um, and we're going to compare them to other sites projections to show where the edges are. If like, I guess you really trust us in your drafts. Um, where you can use this approach of like 
um, finding edges around targets. I think that's a really good point because that when it comes down to it, targets are the only way you score fantasy points for the most part for receivers. And I don't want to say these late round running backs, but these pass catching running backs, right? So with Dalvin Cook, Kamara, CMC, whatever, the targets they're projected are already baked into their ADP, right? Because if you were to project CMC five more targets last year, he can't go higher than the 101, correct? So when it comes to these late round guys, obviously no one projected J.D. McKissick for the most running back targets. But if you were to tell me that, uh, let's say Antonio Gibson was going to get 100 targets, right? Obviously, like, that's another narrative, but his ADP would have moved up. If you would have told me that Nyan Hines got 75 targets, which I would have told you he would have, <laughs> like, I was taking him in a lot of leagues. But if I would have told, if the general, if Matt Berry would have came out and said, I have nine Hines projected for 75 targets, he would have been a six-round pick, right? If I, someone would have said that Dave Montgomery was going to get 63 targets, which he probably won't next year because Sreet Cohen got hurt, he would have been a thir- third-round pick, possibly second-round pick, right? So this is, I, I didn't really even think about that. That's a really good leverage point as to how you can manipulate the ADP because when it comes to receivers, Obviously, this is zero or modified zero RB podcast. But I think when it comes to receivers, that's why people fade guys like Robinson, Keenan Allen, Robert Woods, et cetera, every single year because their target volume is locked in for the most part. And you're really banking on touchdown regression, which in the long haul, everyone's banking on touchdown regression or progression because you can't predict them, right? So that's why locking in these targets on the receiving side, too is very beneficial because if you hit if you hit on the right side of touchdowns for most of your picks, you're going to be very, very profitable. And if you still hit on an average progression, like you're going to be pretty profitable for the most part. And obviously, I think a little bit of it was inflated by injuries this year on the receiver side. Um, our Lord and Savior Odell got hurt. But uh, I think that's a good point as something to be thinking about this offseason and to kind of when we start making projections and rankings and whatnot is to maybe we – we weight targets a lot more than we think. I think we, I think me and you both like understood it and like weigh them pretty heavily, but maybe we weigh them even more next year because I think that's a very, very good leverage point um, in terms of ADP. Like maybe I might, I might do something where we take the projected targets and we like put it on a graphic of the current ADP or something and like reevaluate from there or something like that. That I think is a good exercise to go through um, going forward. Because I don't think a lot of people think about that. I'd like to get into that as well, because obviously with all these coaches moving around, new head coaches, new offensive coordinators, new quarterback coaches, new running back coaches, yada, yada. uh, It's going to be important to see where the chips land. Now, a guy like Naheem Hines, uh, Janie McKissick, you got to think about preseason, right? Like it's easy for us to, and we always try to catch ourselves on this. It's easiest for us to say, Lucas, today, after the season unfolded and say, how do you not find J.D. McKissick? How do you not draft Naheem Hines? Like, what were you guys thinking? Well, Marlon Mack was still healthy. Jonathan Taylor's this new hot rookie. And you had um, uh, uh, Phillip Rivers, a new quarterback, right? Like, we don't know what's going to happen with the Colts. Naheem Hines, man, we'll see what happens. Really, he only had two big games, but he had consistency out of the backfield. And Marlon Mack went down. Then you look at J.D. McKissick. We still had Darius Geis for a minute, right? Bryce Love was the thing before he got hurt again. And we had Antonio Gibson, another rookie coming out of the woods. So we had, a, and, and look, we didn't know about Alex Smith, if he was going to play, if he wasn't going to play Dwayne Haskins, yada, yada. So there's a lot of other opportunities here that we are missed come draft season. And we're going to have them this year. You just can't find out all of this stuff preseason. But the more and more we do this research and the more and more Lucas dive into these things and hopefully brings value to you all, you can start seeing like, oh, shit. Well, maybe there's a J.D. McKissick this year. Who was that guy going to be? Maybe there is a Naheem Hines this year. Who's it going to be? Because I'll tell you right now, Naheem Hines went in the 13th round. J.D. McKissick wasn't even drafted. All right? So there's like 15, 16 other running backs that were drafted that nobody wanted to use. But you could have had J.D. McKissick. How do you find that out? How can we actually go through the process of um, finding those kind of players when you go with a strategy like this? So when you're in your you know, 11, 12, 15th round, and you're throwing darts anyway, you're out of handcuffs, you have your backup quarterback, you have a backup tight end, you're looking for another running back that like, eh, what if that's when you look and try to find these kind of gold nuggets. And of course, Lucas and I and the rest of the team here at TCK will uh, do our best to find those and uncover those gems for you as we get into the next season. All right, so I kind of want to 
my last point here on this is to just look at some general ADP data. Now, I just went back from five years, so 2016, 17, 18, 19, and last year, 2020, and I took the first five rounds from the ADP, so average draft position of the general public, and I took that and saw how many quarterbacks, how many running backs, how many wide receivers, and how many tight ends were drafted in any given year of the last five years. So I'm going to go through each of those pretty quickly, and then I'm going to break down 2020 a little better because I think we can all remember last year's draft, obviously, better than the last five overall. So flashback to 2016, first five rounds, we had four quarterbacks, 24 running backs, 29 receivers, and three tight ends. 29 receivers would end up being the most receivers drafted in the last five years, 29 in 2016. 2017, four quarterbacks again, 24 running backs again, dips a little bit to 27 wide receivers, and we have two more tight ends up into the top five rounds. So we have 27 receivers, five tight ends, but pretty average 2016, 2017. 2018, three quarterbacks in the first five rounds, 26 running backs. So we're up two running backs, nine of those running backs in the first round, 26 wide receivers five tight ends. So pretty similar wide receiver, tight end and quarterback, but 26 running backs and nine of those in the first round, 2019, three quarterbacks in the first five rounds, 28 running backs. That would be the most since 2016, 28 running backs, 24 wide receivers and five tight ends. Last year, three quarterbacks, 28 running backs again, but this time 10 of them in the first round. There's only 12 picks in a 12-team round, obviously. Ten of those were running backs. Generally, it was Michael Thomas and Devontae Adams as the non-running backs in the first round. But 10 running backs went in the first round of 28 in the first five rounds, 25 receivers, and four tight ends. So quarterbacks, wide receivers, and tight ends are pretty much identical throughout the last five years, with the exception of the high point in 2016 when we had 29 receivers. But we've obviously been going more and more running back heavy. And therefore, we always say on the podcast, when everyone zigs, we look to see if it makes sense to zag. Last year, Lucas saw that running backs were up by a couple after a huge season. Wide receivers had dipped a little bit. That means the value for wide receivers is going to go up because more running backs are getting chosen, pushing the wide receiver value down the pipeline. So that's when you can start capitalizing on wide receivers. When people are getting their RB2 and RB3 who maybe not even play, they might get injured, they might get old and busted, they might just lose opportunity like a Mark Ingram. Then I'm still getting high upside wide receivers in the fourth or fifth round like a Calvin Ridley and A.J. Brown, a D.K. Metcalf. So I just want to break down the last five seasons and what it looked like overall. So pretty similar, but certainly a high point receivers early in 2016. And we're getting higher and higher on running backs as we've gone along 24, 24, 26, 28, and 28. Now I want to break down last year a little bit deeper. So again, three quarterbacks, 28 running backs, 10 of those running backs in the first round, 25 wide receivers and four tight ends. The fantasy finishes here. Nine of the 28 running backs finished as run, uh, wide. Uh, sorry, nine of the 28 running backs finished as running back ones. Okay, so that's obviously the top 12 running backs. Nine of the 28 that were drafted in the first five rounds finished as RB ones. Not a great average when you're looking for high upside running backs. So if you went running back, running back, running back to start your draft, which a lot of people did the chances of all three of those guys hitting are very low. Maybe two if you got lucky. You probably got one of those and then had two other bust picks. And as Lucas mentioned, if you had a Joe Mixon, you had an Austin Eckler, you spent up for a a Saquon Barkley this particular season, it would have burned you. All right, moving on. Seven of the 28 running backs that were drafted in the first five rounds ended up as RB2s. Five ended up as RB3s. Two ended up as RB4s and five of the 28 running backs drafted in the first five rounds ended up outside the top 50. Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley, Joe Mixon, Le'Veon Bell, and Mark Ingram. Now, all of them have a story, right? They all got injured. They all missed time. Mark Ingram got the boot. Le'Veon Bell, meh. Mixon got hurt. Saquon missed the season pretty much, and uh, CMC only played three games himself. 
So what this is to say is now a lot of that was due to injury and COVID. I understand that this year, again, was kind of an outlier. It's hard to do these kind of things after the season we just had. The reality is, though, when I did a quick look on the rest of the four years that I had covered, it's pretty similar. So, again, if the running backs go up, the value of wide receiver goes up. Okay? So, again, nine of the 28 running backs that were drafted in the first five rounds, only nine of 28 were RB1s. That's a terrible hit rate. Lucas is all about hit rates. Nine of 28 is a bad hit rate. Five of those guys ended up outside the top 50, AKA unusable. Okay. And then 14 of the other 28. So half of these guys were RB2s, threes, and fours, which is not what you're looking to draft in the top five rounds, right? Obviously, you're okay with an RB2 or RB3 but you're looking for those upside and you're passing on so many wide receivers who would have hit for you. Now we're not going to get into the wide receivers. It's another episode. This is more of a running back focused approach, but you could have hit a guy like David Johnson, uh, Kareem Hunt, Ronald Jones, DeAndre Swift, Philip Lindsay, even handcuffs like Madison Pollard. All right. Uh, Jeff Wilson way late, who I was trying to get people to draft who was this year's Raheem Mostert. Uh, Latavius Murray, as we had mentioned, all those guys were going in the middle to late rounds that had better upside. So if you draft a guy like Devin Singletary, who all of us think is a decent running back, if he got 20 carries a game, you have to throw that out of your brain. Devin Singletary on the bills with what they're doing currently is not going to get enough work to be good enough to warrant the top five draft pick that he had last year. This year, he's going to fall, obviously, because he didn't do anything. But those are the type of guys you need to avoid Le'Veon Bell, new situation, a little bit older, looking slow. Mark Ingram could lose his job. Todd Gurley doesn't have knees. James Conner could have injury issues. Uh, um, Carson could have injury issues, right? You have to avoid those type of landmines in the draft and instead go get Robert Woods, who's guaranteed. Go get a Keenan Allen, who's guaranteed. Go get Calvin Ridley, A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf, who have the upside and have the bulk of the work as the number one on their team. So, Two things that I really took out of this exercise were to, again, I'm not saying to never draft a running back in the top five rounds. Don't hear us incorrectly. If you have the right guy and it makes sense, get to your guy. But if it doesn't, don't just draft a running back because you're supposed to. Get value, draft the best players you can. People get injured. It happens. You can't avoid that. But avoid notable injuries. We mentioned this on what we learned, right? Avoid notable injuries and make sure you avoid like obvious down situations for a guy like Mark Ingram to come back with all the question marks and to fend off Lamar Jackson, fend off Gus Edwards, fend off JK Dobbins and to have a season like he did last year with 10 plus touchdowns for him to repeat that this year would have been shocking to everybody. And all of us would have eaten crow, but the idea that that was going to happen just didn't make sense. So it was an obvious fade. So go get J.K. Dobbins, wait a month because he's a rookie anyway, and see what you can get value-wise anyway, and draft a top-end wide receiver in Mark Ingram's place in the fifth round instead. So be careful in the top five rounds. Look for running backs later on with 50-plus targets. Lucas, I've said a lot. Any last thoughts or words here on the zero RB slash modified RB approach when drafting? No, nah, I mean, the league is becoming more pass-heavy every year. It's going to be pass-heavy again next year, and people are still going to try and draft guys that might get them 13 points per game, thinking it's going to win them their season, their league in the first two weeks. So, I mean, yeah, that's about all I had. Um, if you have any questions, reach out to us. Obviously, it's a little easier to explain or show over text or message or whatnot, but we'll definitely have more around this come draft time about where we see the edges uh, going forward. Boom. This is a fun one, man. We've had a lot of fun this week. Again, it's Pro Bowl week. There is no game, uh, NFL-wise at least. Um, so we are going to kind of just like take a, take a, a week off of recapping games and doing all that. Dweez and I did it early. Bobby and I are going to quickly, um, you know, kind of preview uh, things later on. But next episode coming up with Bobby tomorrow is going to be an ADP comparison. So similar to this conversation, where were guys drafted? Where did they end up? all positions. So how did that work out? And then we'll get Bobby's perfect mock draft. You've heard Lucas's, you've heard Dweez's. We're going to get Bobby's as well 
tomorrow. Lucas is a lot of fun, man. We'll have to see if the numbers make sense to go zero RB again in 2021. Of course, it's ever changing. We'll just have to com compile the numbers and make sure that our heads are in the right space. And when people zig, we zag here on the TCK pod. Make sure you find us on Instagram, fantasy football underscore TCK pod, and on Twitter at TCK underscore pod. Website currently under construction for the next couple of weeks, but we have a lot coming at you. We are building the team bigger and better and stronger behind the scenes. Very excited to introduce some new folks to you as we go along. Stick with us through the Pro Bowl week and, of course, Super Bowl week as well. We will get back to basics to, uh, next week for the Super Bowl. We have a Super Bowl preview. Things to avoid in Dynasty will be Lucas and my next episode next week. Super Bowl game previews and pickups with Bobby. And then, of course, our DFS lineups as well and then we get into 2021 material and we will be flipping the script on you in two weeks hope you're having a wonderful week i know there's some pretty extreme weather all over the place uh, especially on the west coast um, we're finally starting to get some snow and some pretty gnarly weather big storms in the midwest and the east coast as well so hopefully uh wishing everybody best health warmth take your vitamins be safe appreciate each other and enjoy the rest of this week here as we prep for super bowl week next week episode 353 in the books for my man lucas caser i'm your host sky guasco and we are out of here pulling up to mickey d's just for drinks oh yeah that's me nothing extra just perfection and a straw coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block because there are drinks then there are drinks from mcdonald's Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.